The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Part 2 of Accessible Cell Phone Options and an update from the Federal Communications Commission. Welcome to ACB Reports for March 2015. Last month, Brian Charlson began an overview of various accessible smartphone options. In the second and final installment of this presentation, we learn about a phone which may be just smart enough for many consumers. Now I'd like to bring to the podium our third and final speaker on this panel. This is Joseph Martini, who is Director of Assistive Technology at a little place called Perkins Products. And he's going to tell you about a rather unique phone called the Odin phone. Joe? First, I want to thank ACB for allowing me to have the opportunity to uh, introduce to you the Odin VI phone. Some of you have already been by our booth earlier or have been familiar with it before. But um, as Brian had mentioned, not all of us want to have a phone that can wash the dishes and take the dog out for a walk. And this is uh, one of those phones that um, doesn't do everything, but it really fills a particular void out there in the market, I feel. Uh, this is a phone that has been available in Europe for a few years and is a phone that is distributed by RNIB. It has been introduced to the United States just in the last six to eight months. It is a very, very small phone, and I'll go through some of the features with you. It fits in the palm of your hand. It's about three inches in height, about an inch and a half wide, and about three-quarters of an inch thick. So it's very small and compact, and really fits nicely in your hand. The phone has a slide-up feature that will reveal the keypad. And I'm going to do it now, and you'll listen to it. 10.07 a.m. I'm going to turn the volume up. So... What I'm going to do now is that I'm going to go through the main menu just so that you can see the different features. Contacts. There we go. Good. Excellent. Messages. Settings. And I will go through the settings in a moment. Alarms. Help. Call log. Contacts. Messages. This phone really basically does only three things. It makes a telephone call, you can text message, and it manages your contacts. I, I want to go through the, um, the main menu once again and just point out a couple of the more important features. Settings. We're going to go to the... 
This right here is the alarm function. This phone has the ability to store 30 alarms. And the alarms can be set to um, go off once or go off on a weekly basis. So if you have a standing appointment or if you take medications at a particular time every day, you can set an alarm for that. Help. It has a built-in audio manual, so at any time for any of the features, if you press one button, it will explain the features and how to control that feature. Call log. Contacts. Messages. Settings. Now I'm going to go into the settings function because there's some important features there. Messages. Set date. You set the date and time. The time. So when you set the date and the time, there's a feature that anytime you slide the top part of the phone up, it will announce the date and the time. Or you can turn that feature off. Voice guide. There's a male and a female voice on this phone. Voice speed. Uh, obviously, you can set the speed of the, of the voice. On the phone that I have in my hand, I have set it at 80%. Contrast. Brightness. For those that have a little bit of sight, if changing the contrast or the brightness helps them read the screen, you have the ability to do that. Language. Uh, the phone has built-in 10 languages, um, Spanish, German, French, and for some strange reason, Flemish. So any of the Flemish speakers out there, this is the phone for you. SOS. This phone has an SOS function. So you are able to pre-program in three phone numbers. And if you come into an emergency situation, you can depress any button on the phone for five seconds, and the phone will automatically cycle through the three phone numbers that have been entered into the SOS function, and it will continue to call those numbers until someone picks up or the battery dies. This presentation on accessible smartphone options was recorded during the annual conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind, which was held in Las Vegas, Nevada in July of 2014. Archives of the annual conference and convention can be found online at acbradio.org. You're listening to ACB Reports. Karen Peltz-Strauss is Deputy Chief of the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau at the Federal Communications Commission in Washington, D.C. During the annual legislative seminar of the American Council of the Blind, which was held on February 23rd, she discussed video description and accessible emergency alerts. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here again. I love coming to your conference. I uh, also want to just correct one thing that Eric uh, said because he always gives me credit for having drafted these rules and I always make sure to emphasize that yes, it is a team effort that we have, and I've said this before, we have um, about 100 people at the FCC at any given time over the last four or five years that have been working on regulations addressing um, accessibility needs, including implementing the CVAA and the Media Bureau folks are really the ones that have taken on the Herculean effort of tackling all the video programming rules. So I just want to set the record straight that, yes, I, I may have something to do with the conducting, but um, the actual work is done by a lot of other people. I'm going to start with a video description update. As you know, right now uh, there's a requirement for all the national, major national networks and the five top non-broadcast networks to provide video description. In July of 2015, the numbers of markets will go up to 60. Um, so that should help um, with a lot of people who are from smaller markets. In addition, next July 2016, we are permitted to extend the number of hours per week from the current four hours per week to seven. And based on our findings in the report that we issued on video description, um, well, I guess I'm not supposed to predict what we're going to do, but it's very likely that we're going to be wanting to take advantage of this legislative authority. In addition, so in addition to that, five non-broadcast networks, which are basically cable channels, as you know, are covered by our video description rules. And I think that you all know that we didn't have much leeway in defining what was going to be covered, that these are rules that were reinstated from two, the year 2000, and that's all the authority that Congress gave us, with the exception of expanding the number of markets and expanding the number of hours. So the five cable channels right now are Disney, Nickelodeon, TBS, TNT, and USA, and on January 7th of this year, we released a public notice asking what the next, every, every three, I should say, every three years, we have to examine um, which are these top non-broadcast networks. And the way it's defined is our networks that reach at least 50% or more of multi-video programming distributor households, in other words, households that get cable or satellite, and the network must have at least 50 hours per quarter of primetime programming that's not live or near live. And that's how we came up with the original five. We have an obligation every three years to update the list of these top five non-broadcast networks. And our first update is due July 1st, 2015, because our rules went into effect in 2012 of July. And the, it's based on the ratings, the Nielsen ratings for 2013 and 2014. So we issued a public notice in January listing the top 10 non-broadcast networks as USA, ESPN, TNT, TBS, History, Disney, Fox News, Nickelodeon, A&E, and FX. And we asked program networks that think that they should be excluded because they don't fit into the required categories. Again, they don't air at least 50 hours of primetime programming that's not live or near live 
or they're otherwise exempt, or in other words, if they issue too much programming that's live or near live, they have to seek an exemption. We've actually gotten a request from ESPN for an exemption, I believe. So we're going to be coming out with that ruling fairly soon on the top, next top five. In June of 2014, this is just this past June, we issued a video description report to Congress. How many of you have looked at that report? Show of hands. A few. Okay. Well, the rest of you should do it. Um, go back and go to our website and type in video description and report, or if you can't find it, send an email to me, karen.strauss at fcc.gov, or send an email to Eric, who will forward it to me, and we'll get you that report. I think it's good reading. The CBAA had required a report on the availability, use, benefits, uses, and costs in television programming and IP-delivered programming one year after the phase-in of the reinstated regulations. And we issued a series of findings, and I want to go over a few of these with you. First, we found that video description provides significant benefits to people who are blind or visually impaired. We found that consumers want more video description on TV programming. We found that consumers have a hard time finding information about which TV programs are video described and we encourage industry to coordinate with program guide developers to ensure that consumers are provided with current information about video-described programming and also to promote this information on websites and other outlets. We noted that consumers have expressed frustration with the quality of customer service support for video description. Um, probably not telling you all anything that you don't already know, but it's in writing, and that's why I think it's important that you see the report. Uh, the report urges covered entities to provide training and dedicated support so that customer service representatives can answer consumer questions about accessing video description on the secondary audio stream. In addition, we found that consumers have identified technical problems with accessing video description services on customer electronic equipment. This may be possibly, we wrote, by new rules requiring access to user interfaces, and I'm going to get to those rules in a, in a second. Those rules go into effect in 2016. But until those rules go into effect, the FCC expects that manufacturers of digital apparatus and navigation devices, as well as cable and satellite companies, we want them to train their customer service representatives to help consumers access the SAP channel. The report also indicates that there were no significant issues on the technical or creative aspects of creating, distributing, or viewing video description raised by commenters. And finally, the report stated that covered entities did not indicate that the costs of video description have impeded their ability to comply with the video description rule. I think that's an important finding given how much opposition there was to video description in the CVAA. I just want to pause here to note that, as you know, or hopefully you know, recently um, Stevie Wonder had a special, hopefully, did ever, who here did not know that Stevie Wonder's special on the Grammys was video described? Is there anybody in this room that did not know this? Okay, good. Then we did a good job in publicizing it. Okay. We spent a lot of time, I'm not going to go into it, but a lot of time publicizing this. But it's interesting because when I watched it, I felt that a lot more could have been described. Um, and, I, and I think that it was, um, I, I think it was a wonderful thing that CBS did. And as you know that CBS is a leader in this field. They, they video describe a lot more than they are required to. And they also continued video describing for about 10 years. 
if there's any reporters here, this is all off the record. Um, but um, I, I just think that there needs to be some discussion about what should be video described. And one of the things that we're thinking about doing is having a forum at the FCC on video description to address a lot of the outstanding issues. So stay tuned for that. I think that it's uh, going to be later this spring. Going back to the video description report, um, it also talked about IP-delivered programming. And you know that the CBAA does not cover IP-delivered programming. So we are not required to do it by law. We're actually probably not authorized either. But the report did indicate that making key visual components accessible is going to, obviously, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, is going to provide people with a better under ability to understand the programs. And industry, what was interesting is that industry commenters kept reporting technical challenges to, to putting video description on the internet, um, whereas consumers, especially the National Federation of the Blind, said, no, actually, there are ways to support the IP secondary audio stream. So that's another issue, another outstanding issue. Again, we may not be able to rule on it, but maybe we can help facilitate a discussion on it. Uh, the FCC also concluded that the commission is without sufficient information to assess the costs for providers, distributors, and owners to provide video description on IP-delivered programming at this time, but we're going to continue to monitor de developments on this issue. That was the first of two reports that we issued this year. The other report that we issued was a second biennial report to Congress on the CBAA. And when I say CBAA, I think you all know that I'm talking about the 21st Century Communications and Video Programming Act. So we've already issued one report. We issued one in October 2012. This is our second one in October 2014. And we issued findings on that as well. And what we found was pretty good, actually. We found there's been a, an increase in the availability of accessible telecommunications equipment with varying degrees of functionality and features and offered at different price points, and especially true for people who are blind or visually impaired. We issued a public notice, and this is based on comments that your organization and other organizations provided. A range, we found that a range of accessibility solutions have been included in many smartphones for people who are blind, have low vision, deaf, hard of hearing, have dexterity impairments. We also found that the industry has made efforts to comply with requirements to make sure that um, there are accessible browsers on mobile phones, including um, accessible features for people, uh, a wide range of wireless devices and smartphones that provide low-end and high-end features, functions, and prices, and gave some examples, such as smartphones that support refreshable Braille displays and include screen readers, voice control, text-to-speech, adjustable font sizes, and magnification. Again, this was based on comments that we received. But we did find some gaps, and we noted that there is a lack of some interoperability of video systems for people who are deaf, we found that there were gaps reported by people who are blind or visually impaired in applications used to conduct business meetings online, Android-based devices, and other non-iOS mobile platforms. We found that there were gaps in the marketing and sharing of information about accessible products. For example, information about accessible products for people who are deafblind. We also wrote that consumers want easy-to-use instructions for communication apps and improved customer services with respect to accessibility features. We also shared concerns that consumers raised about the future, concerns that software updates may not always take accessibility into consideration, and that once barriers are created, they're difficult to get undone, for example, once updates are downloaded. 
there were concerns raised about data speeds or caps on data usage for people who are deaf and hard of hearing, concerns about technology transitions like the transition to IP that could threaten access that now exists. And the report stated a need for industry design and development teams to be mindful of the effects that new product and service design features can have on accessibility. For example, um, well, just using an example for people who are deaf, if voice controls replace rather than supplement visual interfaces, that could create new barriers and vice versa for the uh, blind community. We also reminded the industry that the CBA requires covered entities to keep records of their efforts to consult with people with disabilities. We found that industry has taken some steps to include people with disabilities in the design and development of their products through meetings and dialogues and internal programs and advisory panels and usability testing, but said that consumers are still concerned about which engineering or products and services take place without consideration of their accessibility needs. Uh, the report found that while some efforts to consult with people for this purpose have occurred over the past few years, more can be done to include people with disabilities early on in the design and development of products. So what's coming up? Coming up is something major, which Eric mentioned. Later on this year, in May, there's going to be requirements that go into effect on emergency access. Uh, both equipment has to be able to convey emergency act information that's accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired, and the rules require um, viewers to be able to get more information. So in other words, the content rules, the information has to be provided in a visual format, and the equipment has to be able to pass through that information. It also has to be able to pass through video description. So you should start seeing some changes. We do have an outstanding notice of proposed rulemaking that we're working on now, and we've had some industry people come in and talk to us, so you're welcome to come in and talk to us as well. This is on the user interface, FNPRM. Actually, let me take a step back and explain what I'm talking about. We have rules, as you know, that require that user interfaces on digital apparatus be accessible to people who are blind and visually impaired, including on-screen text menus and guides by set-top boxes. Eric, of course, mentioned the Comcast effort. They beat our rules by two years, and every chance I get, we applaud them because that is absolutely wonderful. But we have, as I said, we have some outstanding issues on the extent to which uh, apparatus, you, the extent to which apparatus has to be usable, not only accessible, but usable, including inf accessible information, documentation, and training requirements. There, those, there, Section 255, which requires telecommunications products and services, has a usability requirement along with an accessibility requirement. And the usability requirement says that you have to make your products and you have to make your user guides and your customer service accessible or usable. And that's, I think, where the failing has been here. So we, as I said, have an outstanding rulemaking on that, and we're going to finish that up. Um, there's also a question in the rulemaking that deals with consumer notification requirements for manufacturers to alert consumers that they are allowed to get devices that are accessible to them, set-top boxes, for example, that are accessible to them. So we have to decide that. And then there's an issue dealing with information, more detailed program information for what's called PEG channels, public educational and governmental channels. 
finally, we have an outstanding docket or proceeding on the definition of MVPD. Now, MVPD stands for Multi-Video Programming Distributor, as I mentioned, and it typically applies to um, satellite and cable companies that distribute video programming widely to the public. Our proposal in that proceeding is to adopt a technology-neutral definition of MVPD so that it would include providers that make multiple linear streams of video programming available for purchase, regardless of how the programming is distributed. There are two proposals that are put forward. Actually, we had a tentative conclusion that MVPDs include distributors of multiple linear video programming streams, including internet-based services. The alternative service would require a programming distributor to have control over a transmission path to qualify as an MVPD. The reason that this is important is that it could result on some online providers that are basically streaming television programs, linear television programs. They would require those providers to comply with many of our accessibility rules, such as closed captioning, TV emergency access rules, the video description rules, and the accessible user interface guides and menus. So that is where we are. As you can see, we've done a lot, but we still have a lot ahead of us. Well, thank you so much. As always, it's a pleasure to come. Feel free to contact me for anything that you need more information on. Thank you. That was Karen Peltz Strauss, Deputy Chief of the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau at the Federal Communications Commission in Washington, D.C. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.